0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we're getting nostalgic and festive. It's Christmas in July for Northern Queensland, and all we want is a federal government cyclone reinsurance pool. It's a gift that keeps on giving the latest Marsh commercial rates indexes out. And if that's not enough to whet your appetite, we serve up the main course. We carve up the mainstream news industry and their treatment of insurers. You'll definitely want to unwrap that one. Hello everyone, on our panel today are Deputy Editor Wendy Mistletoe-Pew, Managing Editor John Rudolph Deeks, Chairman Terry Tinsel-McMullen, and Senior Journalist Bernice glaze Han. Good morning, Wendy.
1: Good morning, Andrew.
0: Are you confused by my Christmas-themed intro?
1: I am a bit confused, yes. (laughs) It seems like distant past now.
0: (laughs) Seemed like a good idea at the time. Hello Bernice. Hi. This is your first podcast for 2022. How do you plan to dazzle our uh, listeners?
2: I'll try my best to (laughs) dazzle it up.
0: Excellent. Hello, John. Hi. Now, you've got a busy day today, haven't you?
3: Yes, I'm, I'm popping out to the um, Niebuhr Convention, which is kicking off in, in Melbourne later. Might touch on that later.
0: And good morning, Terry. Good morning. It's been a busy week for the team, particularly last week, hasn't it?
4: It has been. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're also preparing the, the next magazine, nearly ready to, to go. So, yes, we have been very busy and there's not a piece of tinsel in sight, really, and Well, onto the main stories uh, this week.
0: The federal government has been busy selling its cyclone reinsurance pool as it races to have it ready by July. What have we learned this week, Wendy?
1: Well, you know, the government consulted on draft legislation at the end of last year, and now they've finalised that. And this um, bill is going to go uh, into Parliament in this current sitting fortnight. So they've been uh, spruking that and, and announcing what's in this final legislation. So they've made some changes. There's going to be a review in a year, and there's going to be some improvements for strata eligibility. Marine will be added in later as well. But in in announcing this, they've also made some bold statements on the potential savings. So so they say they would expect to see premium reductions of up to 46% for for homeowners, potentially up to 58% for strata and 34% for SMEs. Um, and Assistant Treasurer Michael Sukar was on a radio yesterday and he was saying that when they made the pool announcement, originally they expected premiums would be reduced overall by about 1.5 billion over 10 years. Now they're saying 2.9 billion. Um, but for all that, they didn't really elaborate on the actual pricing model that's going to deliver on these outcomes. So, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot we still don't actually know.
0: Well, 46% all sounds good to me. I'm thinking of moving to Gambula. So, Terry, should Northern Queenslanders be writing those premium savings into their household
4: budgets already? Look, Andrew, uh, two things. It's an election year and the the North Queensland electorates are absolutely vital to the coalition. Uh, There's certainly a healthy amount of scepticism about the the pie-in-the-sky figures being bandied about by the government. Nobody really at this point knows what the savings or even the costs will be. There's still quite a bit of work to be done. The government's backing the scheme, fine, but everything they say about savings and how much wonderful uh, effort is is going into this is really just window dressing.
0: So, John, what's the uh, industry perception of this announcement and progress?
3: Well, um, let's not forget that a lot of the industry fought against a cyclone reinsurance pool for quite a few years. But I think now they all welcome it. There are certainly many out out there willing this project to succeed because, you know, if it does work, that's great. There, there is an acute affordability problem up there and it's only going to get worse. But some in the industry can't help but be sceptical on the savings, as, as Terry says. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, we'll believe it when we see it. Uh, And there's a real push to remind the government that this won't work on its own. We still need mitigation measures. We still need proper land use planning. And we still need insurance tax reform.
0: Well, the latest Marsh Commercial Rates Index is out. What does it show, Bernice? Is the hard market over?
2: Uh, Yes. So with the latest Marsh Price Index, which is for the December quarter, the numbers do confirm Marsh's earlier assessments that rates may have peaked and the broker is saying that it is expecting further moderation in price rises for the rest of the year. So what we have for the December quarter, um, rates in the Australia-led Pacific market uh, went up 13% after registering a 17% rise in the previous three month period. So this is the fourth consecutive quarter in which the rate of increase in the Australian market has slowed and globally rates went up 13%, which is weaker than the 15% seen in the previous quarter. So um, it does seem that the hard market is over. And what we're seeing, we see, we can still see further price rises, but it may not be as sharp as, say, in the last two, three years ago. Yeah. So we've
0: reported for a while about you know these um, these positive announcements that it's looking like the market's improving, the hard market is over. Has it actually occurred, Terry?
4: That's a very good question, and I, I think one of the the other things that we we should be cautious about too is that I think it was Robert Kelly mentioning last week uh, from Steadfast saying the um, the fact that we are starting to see a moderation of prices doesn't mean that we're at the beginning of of what usually happens in the insurance cycle where we have a huge plunge the the attitude has changed a lot in the last few years we realize that really natural catastrophes are more common and less predictable seasonally so In fact, insurers are going to have to focus far, far more on really uh, keeping their operations together and keeping them running profitably than they are going to be in just competing in the open market for any piece of business they can get. So, yes, it's, it's changing, but it's not changing quickly.
0: And Bernice, are there any lines of business bucking the uh, the trend?
2: Um, there sure is, and it's cyber, the risk that businesses have listed in multiple surveys as the one that they worry about most. So in, in the Australia-led Pacific market, um, Marsh is saying that cyber remains very challenging because of the frequency and severity of the uh, ransomware losses. And that has in turn meant more pressure on pricing and deductibles and a marked reduction in capacity and narrowing of key coverages. So Wamash didn't provide any cyber numbers for Australia. um, It's US numbers to provide an indication of just how tough it is out there for businesses who are looking to get cyber protection. So US cyber rates rose 130% in the December quarter. Um, Insurers are changing coverage terms and conditions in response to worsening claims frequency. And the US being the largest cyber market, what's happening there do impact other markets, including Australia. So that's what's happening right now in cyber.
0: Well, John, our analysis this week looked at the treatment of insurers by the mainstream media when uh, claimants complain. What's the problem here?
3: Well, this article is all about those headlines we see week in, week out, where someone has had a claim denied and they tell their story to their local newspaper or a current affair or something like that. Um, And of course, the media does play an important role in highlighting genuine injustice, but many in the industry are increasingly concerned that this type of coverage is forcing insurers to pay out when really they shouldn't. So someone could have a claim legitimately denied, but because they've told an emotive backstory, the insurer feels like it needs to act. Apparently, this is happening more and more, with one broken leader describing the current situation as terrible with at least three claims that he's seen paid out recently that should never, ever have been paid. People are concerned that the media often makes no effort to understand why a claim might have been denied, instead painting an overly simplistic picture that shows the insurer in a very bad light. Of course, it's true that insurers haven't helped themselves in the past. The Hain Royal Commission highlighted some very real examples of poor claims handling. And this means that the public is all too ready to believe that an insurer isn't playing fair. But the industry has made great strides in recent years. And it just doesn't seem right that uh, an insurer should have to pay when the contract or or the policy uh, doesn't back that up. Are we part of the media as well? I'm not quite sure how this question is going to go. Yes. Yes, we are. But I can assure you we wouldn't publish a claimant's criticism of an insurer without first fully investigating the facts, the policy wording and how it applies to their circumstances. And if they hadn't already taken their case to AFCA, we'd advise them to do so. There's a free dispute resolution service there dedicated to fairness and ready and willing to help and with the expertise required to address any complex issues. I'm not sure how you're going to fit that into a clickbait headline, but I think that uh,
0: probably explains why. Terry, you must have seen this kind of thing happen time and again over the course of your career.
4: Oh, yes. And it's caused by most of the media's total lack of understanding and knowledge about the insurance industry, as John said. Uh, I think more so than the banks even, and I think that's because there are so few touch points in the insurers' relationships with their customers. The major touch point, is when you have a claim and a claim is a, a pretty negative event and people don't make claims every day like they do bank every week. So with, with the result that that when you go into this relationship, you go in with suspicion and, and a feeling of negativity anyway. I should also point out that we we are sort of hampered by our, our own um, sensitivities in this industry. I've been aware over the years of so many extraordinary things that that insurers have done to support customers even when the customer doesn't really have a claim. You know, And some of these have cost the insurer quite a lot of money, but they've felt it was the right or best thing to do in the circumstances. But they never want you to publicise that fact because they don't really want to raise everybody else's expectations. So it's not really the Me Too movement. It's really the What About Me Too movement. Uh, so yeah, we're stuck. It's it's a tough one. I don't see the answer. I don't. I think it's just something that we have to accept as, as part of the way we work.
0: Well, we like a good AFCA case. And Benice, the dispute resolution body recently ruled against a life insurer over a skin cancer claim.
2: Yes, um, we had this in the life insurance section, and in this particular dispute, it relates to the way AMP review a claim from a policyholder who was diagnosed with basal cell carcinoma, which is a form of skin cancer. So, um, AMP had rejected the claim, saying a benefit payment is made only if there is metastasis under the terms of the trauma policy held by the complainant. And EFCA is saying that AMP did not properly review the claim and therefore acted unfairly. So what AMP did was it relied on medical opinions from its in-house hematologist to review the claim instead of an oncologist. And EFCA is saying there's no reason to think that the hematologist is an expert on cancer. Um, AFCA is saying that AMP should have undertaken a proper investigation, including finding out whether the complainants treating oncologists thought that his cancer has actually spread to a distant organ or has reached a metastasis state. and AFCA notes also that the claim has not been properly assessed against the life insurance code of practice, which has a minimum standard definition of cancer. The definition requires spread to the bone, limb node, or another distant organ. So AMP was ordered to reassess the claim and compensate complainant two thousand dollars for non-financial loss. Um, AFCA is saying that the conduct of AF, of AMP has caused a long delay. Um, the claim was lodged in mid 2020, and the um, AFCA ruling came out I think late last year.
0: Well, John, can you take us through some of the other AFCA ruling highlights from recent weeks? Yes, I,
3: I can. And um, as as regular readers will know, we we often cover these rulings, and they're some of our most popular stories. Recent recent ones we 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 reported on the owner of a Tesla car, very expensive Tesla car, who uh, tried to claim for seventy five thousand dollars worth of damage to his vehicle, but the insurer denied the claim because he hadn't declared all his demerit points. This got me got me worried, actually, because I don't remember my insurer asking me how many demerit points I've had. I mean, they do ask if you've had your license canceled. I remember that. But anyway, this um, person didn't declare their points, and if they had done, the insurer wouldn't have covered them. So I'm afraid that's tough luck for him. He's gonna have to foot that $75,000 bill himself. But um, a number of these relate to driving. Uh, and, and cars. So another one we had was a, the owner of a Mazda CX3 who damaged his windscreen, and the repairer that the insurer used managed to stuff up the windscreen replacement five times. He had to go back five times to get his windscreen sorted. And it, it meant that uh, water leaked through into his car. And he argued uh, that, that to Afca that the insurer should actually give him a whole new car. Afca didn't agree with that, but they did tell the insurer to get it sorted. We had another one where a man had been drinking, drinking whiskey, then crashed his Mercedes and the police report from the time said that he was decidedly uh, unstable and they also found some some drugs in the vehicle but AFCA actually sided with the driver in this case because the the alcohol level tests showed that he was in fact under the limit and there was no evidence that he'd Used the drugs that were found in the vehicle, so he actually got his his payout.
0: <laughs> Did they happen to tell us what uh, brand of whiskey we should be drinking?
3: Oh uh, yes, Johnny Walker Black, I think it was. But he only had he only had two, and uh, yeah, as I say, the 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 test showed that he was under the legal limit, so
4: all good. Was he just a courier? Sounds like he was running a a, a commercial operation there with a private vehicle though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Now, last week, we sent out the uh, inaugural edition of The Broker, our new fortnightly newsletter for the intermediary sector. What were some of the main stories, John? Yes. Well,
3: as Terry referred to earlier, we, we had a story about the market, the current market. Robert Kelly of Steadfast says that we, we've got to stop calling it a hard market because it's just the current market. It is what it is. It's insurers pricing to make a profit. And he doesn't see that that's going to change anytime soon. He thinks that regulators and capital providers will keep a very close eye on what uh, underwriters are are doing and won't allow them to go back to the uh, let's drop prices to grab market share soft market style that we've seen in the past. We also had the NIBA chief executive talking about government overreach on regulation He wants the rapid pace of regulatory change to slow down this year. And we've got all the latest on all the key issues facing brokers, including the review on commissions that's coming up, the new NEBA code, which should be imminent. Uh, As you said before, Andrew, the NEBA convention, which kicks off in Melbourne this week, but also visits several other key cities. Uh, And we try to help you get to know some of the People in Broking. We've got a profile on Rebecca Tomich, who has been in and around Broking since the age of 16 and started her career in the UK, but now it's based on the Gold Coast and all manner of appointments and other stories. So just go to our website, click on the broker section in the in the in the menu bar and you'll find all that content. There's
0: so much information
3: there. How are you going to fill it next fortnight?
4: Well.
0: One of the things is uh, we want brokers to talk to us, don't we,
3: Terry?
4: Yeah, we sure do, Andrew. Um, Look, it's not to say we don't constantly talk to brokers like we do everyone else, but um, certainly what we see is that the world of brokers has changed and is continuing to change in so many ways. And they're not, not always easy to pinpoint the way things are changing, but broking has really become an industry within an industry. And we wanted dive in deeper uh, with this dedicated section, and we we want to focus on the people and look at the challenges and issues uh, in this sector of, of insurance, because it's becoming more and more crucial to the overall health of the industry. But we don't want it to just be technical and regulatory stuff. We we want to act as a, a central source of everything that's going on, and that includes social, professional, education. So people, feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you.
0: And on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Bernice Han, Terry McMullen, and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week, and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.